Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/spoken today. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs> not used to losing in Australian Open in second round. I mean, I've always played so well throughout the last 10 years. I've, I've been, you know, I've won six titles here and I've, this this court has been so nice to me. <laughs> it's uh, disappointing, but at the end of the day, uh, I have to accept it. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and Eurosport, who are the sole rights holders in the UK for television coverage of the first Grand Slam tournament of the year. My name is David Law, part of the BBC Radio 5 Live tennis team. Catherine Whittaker is here with me from Eurosport. And we join you from the commentary box courtside where Serena Williams has just avoided the fate of Novak Djokovic who went out earlier today in one of the most seismic shocks that we've had at this tournament in many, many years, perhaps ever at this particular tournament. We're waiting for Rafael Nadal to come out onto the court for the final night session match of the day. But Catherine, I mean, Denis Istomin has had the 12 months from hell in many ways he's ranked outside the world's top 100 he's barely won matches at times at a tour level this was the second round this was the six-time champion six titles in nine years he hadn't lost this earlier to slam for nine years 2008 and Marit Safin and Wimbledon it was it was hard to fathom really when it was going on I mean he was two sets to one up but but the whole match that didn't look like Novak Djokovic. Yeah, the last time I saw Dennis Istomin was uh, Nottingham 2015, winning his very first ever ATP World Tour title. And now here he is having another major, major career highlight. Good on Dennis Istomin. It was hard to fathom. Yeah, it was hard to fathom from Novak Djokovic. Look, Dennis Istomin played really, really well, but... There is no way he should should have been challenging Novak Djokovic. I mean, even on his best day, he doesn't really have the game to challenge Novak Djokovic. It's just not a good matchup on paper, even on his best day. And I think, well, perhaps not today, but on a on an honest, on a really really frank day, he he might uh, might admit to that himself. But yeah, it, it's uh, I mean the 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 ripples of uh, the seismic ripples are still reverberating, aren't they, around here? It's difficult to sum up just how big a shock this is. I've been trying to think about whether it's as big a shock as what happened at Wimbledon. Um, there's a couple of differences, one being that at Wimbledon it was over two days, so we almost had that overnight period to to come to terms with the possibility that the world number one might lose. Um, 
And secondly, I guess, you know, Wimbledon, he was in his absolute pomp. It was after he'd won the French Open. And yes, he was world number one. Here he's world number two. And had it not been for what happened in Doha, I would have found today more easier to understand. Had it been sort of a continuation of what we saw from the end of last season, from what we saw in, in the World Tour Finals final against Andy Murray, it would have made more sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is that we saw... Certainly the old Novak Djokovic in terms of spirit in Doha. And why couldn't we see that today? Because we we didn't really see that today. How he lost, you know, it's a familiar story, isn't it? The the plucky underdog challenges the top, the, the top seed, one of the top seeds. But then as soon as the top seed gets a bit between his teeth and gets some momentum in his direction, as Djokovic did winning the second and third sets, you think, oh, OK. No, this has been an exciting match. We're all very grateful for that. But normal service is resumed now. How he went on to win the lose the fourth and fifth sets is very bizarre to me. I I watched the prepare yourself for some name dropping, but I did actually watch portions of the match. Sat in between Boris Becker and Mats Valander, and uh, I, I found it highly surreal. I mean, I, I I'm you know I'm. I'm basically a, a tennis nerd, a tennis fan girl, and uh, I, I was trying to play it very cool, just thinking, yeah, you know, this is a normal day for me. I'm watching Novak Djokovic between his former coach and... Yeah, uh, and... Uh, it, the, Boris wasn't giving too much away. He wasn't, you know, letting it all go. He obviously still has a whole load of fondness for Novak Djokovic, wishes him well. Like, I do... I do as much as there's stuff they've agreed not to say for sure, I do believe that they've parted on basically good terms and that there's definitely a fondness there. But, I mean, his basic assessment was he's just flat today. And both of them, these two greats of the game, didn't really have any more of a scientific explanation than that. It's weird, isn't it? Flat. That was sort of it, you know, and, and they were they were talking amongst themselves about it's just awful when he come out and you're flat isn't it what are you supposed to do about it and I'm thinking surely you find a way to get yourself pumped up but no they were they were saying it's just one of those things that you just hope it doesn't happen on a day that's really really important now I do believe that had Djokovic of a year ago come out flat he would have found a way to not be flat by the final point that's that's the issue here but yeah it it was uh, I can't believe it actually happened really not that I thought that Novak Djokovic was nailed on to win this title but of all the you know looking at his potential route through to the latter stages of all the people you thought could possibly challenge him nobody was looking at Dennis Sisterman were they no I I, I remember seeing Dennis Sisterman walk out onto the court and I must remember I remember thinking oh I hadn't even realized Djokovic was playing him that's how little it had registered on my um, radar that this was a match coming up and that this was a threat. It wasn't a threat. There was no threat there as far as I was concerned for Novak Djokovic today. Well, I was absolutely wrong. First of all, have to pay enormous credit, I think, 
to Istamin, who played the match of his life, and he just didn't dip, he didn't blink. I think it's very easy to only analyse why wasn't Djokovic like Djokovic normally is, and, and that's obviously the, the biggest storyline here, and it's, it's my first instinct is Djokovic of a year ago doesn't lose that match, no matter what Istamin does, and I still believe that. However, you know, the guy played fabulously well, and, and uh, you know... He's got that with him for the rest of the li- rest of his life. Nobody will ever be able to take that uh, that moment away from him. But trying to get to the bottom of what is wrong with Novak Djokovic is, we will never do it, and he's not telling us. And maybe he doesn't even know. But there's something wrong with him. I mean, he's not this he, this guy is not right at the moment. I mean, this why, why isn't he at the level he was a year ago? It happens. It happens. Bjorn Borg walked out of the 1981 U.S. Open final, never won another Grand Slam tournament, basically retired. Um, you know, Roger Federer has gone through that awful spell around 2013, 2014, when he was losing to, to all sorts of people. Nadal, over the last two years, has lost the confidence with the forehand. Andy Murray, after the 2013 Wimbledon, OK, he had the back surgery, but he lacked something for a while. There was not quite the same degree of fight. I think it's so stark to see a guy win four Grand Slam titles in a row and look a year ago like he just couldn't be beaten. We, we I remember us doing a podcast... How how long can he go unbeaten for unless somebody's injured and uh, unless he gets injured and and we 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 are still I I'm pretty bereft really I mean other than to say I just think he's lost the edge because how many times can you go into the reserves and when you've dug deep all these times and there isn't the same cause for him he's re- he's reached all the peaks well one of the things that that Matt Philander said this afternoon that really, really stuck with me. It, I mean, he he has since that match said uh, on air that he fears that Djokovic might not now get back to where he was. Um, he's not he's not uh, by any means definitely predicting that, but he has significant fears that that might not happen. And um, he, it, it's interesting. He said he just can't keep up. The intensity he and and then he said he's not naturally like that he's not naturally that intense and that's foc- that focus and that I found that really interesting because I you know we took it so much for granted didn't we that that he would just win anything and everything and it would ever be thus and that it he sort of made it look so so easy and so like he was just locked into that zone you couldn't imagine him coming out of it and maybe maybe he was just doing a Joe Conter all along we talk a lot about how Joe Conter's found this formula to make herself this person that wins tennis matches and it might mean she's not quite able to be herself all the time but it works for her on a tennis court maybe Djokovic has been doing that all along and it's not really him and and he's now having to let it go a bit because you can't keep up a facade forever One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. May well be. Well, I asked the question on uh, social media, at Tennis Podcast on Twitter, what, what do you think's happened to Novak Djokovic? Jakey says, age, regression to the mean, and having accomplished his biggest goals. AB Tennis says he's run out of steam. He's achieved so much, and you can't keep that intensity up forever. And uh, I think some of these points are, are valid. They're pretty much tallied with what we're saying. June says I think he's he's mentally exhausted, um, and you know maybe maybe this is it. Maybe he just needs a break. We just we just don't know. He is mentally exhausted. I, I fully buy that as a partial explanation. But he should be good enough at forehands and backhands for that to carry him through those sorts of matches even when he is mentally exhausted you know I can understand him not being at his best as a result of of slight burnout but that's not a full explanation you know the 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 backhand disappeared for that for a set and a half at the start then the forehand disappeared I do think as a side point there are issues with the speed of the court this year Boris Becker said he thinks the outside courts here whether it's the courts themselves or the balls which are different this year are playing faster than any court he has ever seen and at the time that he was making those comments the schedule for tomorrow came out and we saw Andy Murray is playing on High Sense Arena and I saw your subsequent tweets about that saying you think and I entirely agree with you here they said to Andy Murray, most likely, we've got to put Stan on uh, Rod Laver Arena because we haven't done yet that it, it done that yet, and he's a former champion. Federer Burdick, of course, that's the night match, Rod Laver Arena, nailed on. So, Andy, you've got the choice of Margaret Court or Hisense. And the assessment of <laughs> two multiple Grand Slam champions was likely that Hisense is a little bit slower and maybe he wanted to counteract the these new, slightly new conditions that lots of players seem to be struggling to adjust to this year. Yeah, very interesting. I think that's uh, that, that's going to be fascinating to see how Andy Murray goes against Sam Querrey, who incidentally was part of a doubles team that beat the defending champions, Jamie Murray and Bruno Suarez. Sam Querrey could do the Murray double in two days. Imagine that. He completely wipes out the face of the uh, the Murray family from the tournament in the space of a couple of days. Well, that's tomorrow. We'll find out how that goes. Um, just a, a word on other big, another big shock today. Agnieszka Radvanska has gone out. Almost a footnote, really, given the, the shock of uh, Djokovic. But she went out tamely. I mean, she lost straightforwardly to Mirjana Lucic. I mean, a wonderful story for Lucic Baroni because she was a, a teenager who came on the scene and then had all sorts of trials and tribulations in her personal life and and uh, and didn't play for so long. And, and she's back and she's in her 30s and she's just registered the most enormous win. So congratulations to her. But Radvanska's wait for a, for a title, I mean, even a meaningful run here goes on. Yeah, that's... that's- and with greatest respect to Lucic Broni, who is a fantastic story, um, a fantastic human story. That's an awful loss for Agnieszka Radvanska. Those are usually the sorts of players that she laps up, you know, the tall, poorer movers that she can slice and dice around the court. And, and I, I, I must confess, I haven't seen any of the match. I just saw the scoreline unfolding and thought, what on earth is going on here? This should have been straightforward for you. Um 
Yeah, it's funny how many people are, are talking about Joe Conta as a favourite, a favourite for the title. I think were it not for her horror draw, she would be a real, real favourite for the title. It's only the fact of Serena Williams standing in her way that makes her not one of the top two or three. Yeah, well, she was a comfortable winner today against the prodigiously talented Naomi Osaka of Japan, the teenager, and... Uh, Conta now plays Caroline Wozniacki, who looked very good today against Donna Vekic. But I think I think if you were to look at the matchup of of Wozniacki and Conta, and even uh, Conta against Sibokova, I would I would favour Conta to win both matches individually. It's just that is there going to be an accumulative effect? I wonder. For for Joe Conta, I don't think so. I think she looks magnificent. I see all the hallmarks of a top, top tennis player in her now. She's able to be clinical in a way that I've never seen. You know, Naomi Osaka, yes, she's young, doesn't have the experience, would have been nervous today, but she's got big weapons that we just didn't see today because Joe Conta didn't give her a chance to get any kind of strike in. You know, she was just so airtight it it was really impressive she is incredibly seems even fitter than she was last year which I didn't really think was possible she is such a lean mean machine I and there's such a steel in her eye I know that's completely unscientific saying there's a steel in someone's eye but she thinks she can win this title and I and I think for her the fact that she's got this awful draw takes the pressure off a bit maybe just a little bit well, she always does talk, as as any top player does, about just taking it one at a time. And I think that's the, the only way you can play it when you've got a former world number one in the third round. Uh, so we will see how she goes. She's the only bit of British success today because, as I mentioned, Jamie Murray lost. And also Kyle Edmund, a really disappointing defeat for him. Straight sets against uh, Pablo Carina Busta. And then defeat heartbreak for Heather Watson, who had five match points today against Jennifer Brady and was in charge of that match and didn't win it. I mean, huge credit to Brady for coming back and winning that. She sounds like a bright spark, but uh, that's a that's a, a crushing blow. Yes, uh, myself and uh, the the Euro- British Eurosport team are concerned that we might have jinxed Heather Watson on every single one of those match points because we were hovering courtside. It was one, on one of the outside courts and we have to be there to do an immediate what we call a flash interview if she wins, which means an immediate reaction on court interview. And and every time she went match point up, we were there hovering and every time it didn't happen. And actually on the final match point she had, we decided we would step back and and, not, and it still. So maybe, maybe, there's, maybe it wasn't our fault after all. I don't think it was. But anyway, shame for her. Uh, but uh, yeah, good win, as we said, for Johanna Conta. She goes onwards. Serena Williams, victorious this evening. We've just seen her depart the Rod Laver Arena from our position. We are literally sitting a couple of metres. I can almost touch the centre service line judge, uh, court level, just behind Marcus Bagdatis, who's returning the serve of Rafael Nadal here. We'll bring you that result at the end of the show. But the... The victory for Serena Williams is a good one against Lucy Safarova. She's beaten her in straight sets. That's a really tough test for Serena Williams so early on in a tournament to be backed up against Bencic, who's a top player in when she's at her best, and then Lucy Safarova. She's beaten them both in straight sets. Catherine, for Eurosport, has been speaking to Patrick Moratoglu, Serena Williams' longtime coach now, and uh, she asked him, given that Serena Williams hasn't played many matches of late, whether she's perhaps short of match practice. Definitely. I think it's very important to 
to play matches. Like this, this job is about uh, being competitive in the matches, and the less you play, the less you can feel comfortable on the court. So, I mean, obviously, Serena has much more experience than any other player on tour. She's played a. I don't know how many matches in her career, so she needs that less than others. But still, it's a, it's it's kind of a disadvantage, and uh, and I think it's it's a good thing that she has tough matches at the start of this tournament because it's going to help her get more rhythm and uh, and more feeling for the matches. In terms of the tournament as a whole, who does Serena see as her main rivals, her main contenders? Because it's such a shifting landscape in women's tennis at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Um, to be honest, she doesn't look at people as, as people who can beat her, and I like it. She always thinks it's up to her, and I, I have to agree with that. When Serena's at her best, I don't think anyone can beat her. But she has to be at her best, so we, we mostly work on her, how to get her to her best level on every aspect of her game, whether it's the technical, the physical, the mental side, all of that. Um, I can answer that question if you want. It's not Serena's point of view, it's more mine. I think that the ones that we expect to be the, the, the most dangerous, which, who are maybe Kerber, Muguruza, all those players, I don't think they play the best tennis at the moment. I think Pliskova's playing really well from what I've seen in the, in the last matches. Uh, and Conta. Conta was very impressive in Sydney. I think those two are in a great shape and might be the, the most dangerous ones in that tournament. Just finally, Patrick, we've heard Serena talk a lot, particularly in the last couple of years, about pressure. We know she wants to get number 23. How all-consuming is that for her? Is she desperate? Is she always thinking about number 23? Um, Pressure is something that uh, everyone talks about, but nobody knows what it is. Because if you have not experienced that, you have no idea. You can ask Kirby what she thinks about it at the moment. And it's not the same pressure, but the pressure of being number one and supposedly the best and supposedly the one who is not allowed to, to lose a match. Ask also uh, Andy, if you saw, saw his first match here, he was not feeling really comfortable. Yesterday was better. So it's, and for Serena, the pressure is like an, another level. So, um, yeah, I mean, she doesn't think about 23 every day. Of course not. But she feels that pressure. I think she's great to deal with pressure. She showed it all her career. It's a pressure that is at a different level at the moment, but she's getting used to. She's going she's gonna to find a way, as she always done in her career. I, don't, I just don't think she should focus too much on the 23 number. I think what is important is that she focused on her own record and set the Serena record. If it's 23, it's 23. If it's 30, it's, it'll be fine. Certainly will be fine, Patrick. Fascinating to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's Catherine talking to Patrick Moratoglu. Um, what did you make of his state of mind? He seems uh, he seems pretty uh, excited about what's to come. He's so remarkably open. It's incredible, given how close Serena Williams is and how little she wants to give away. It, it's almost like she allows him to be her public face. And she says, Patrick, you give away whatever you want. And uh, yeah, he's a fascinating interview. Luckily, he's on the Eurosport team, so we should get to speak to him and get his insights a few times throughout the fortnight. Excellent, excellent. Here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with Eurosport. You see, this is the benefit that we get. Now, Catherine's got to go. So I've got to talk to the five live audience, give them an update on the Nadal-Bagdatis match. Let's just have a very quick look at tomorrow's matches, Catherine. Starts with Eugenie Bouchon against Coco Vanderway on the Rod Laver Arena, then Kerber against Christina Pliskova. Tell you what, that'll be interesting. I think Kerber's going to lose that. I think Bouchard's going to win. I think Kerber's going to lose. Blimey. Yeah, I'm being punchy because you've got to get on the radio. 
after that, Vavrinka against Troiki, I think Vavrinka's going to win. Then night session, Barty against Bartel, I think Barty's going to win. Uh, and Burdick against Federer, I think Federer's going to win. But Simon Briggs thinks Burdick's going to win. He's been looking a bit ropey, old Federer, hasn't he? But, you know. Old Federer? Well, he is a bit old, isn't he? Let's be honest. I mean, he's 35, you know, you know he's ancient. On the Margaret Court Arena, it's Svitolina Pavlichenkova. Then it's Songa against Sok. I, I know, that's interesting, isn't it? Winner to maybe play Dan Evans. Oh, now we're talking. Yeah, Dan Evans is going to be up on the High Sense Arena straight after Andy Murray. So Andy Murray's second on High Sense Arena, which is the third major court here. So we reckon that'll be about three o'clock in the morning UK time, around about two o'clock local time in the afternoon on in Melbourne. Uh, Andy Murray, you'll be able to watch that, of course, on Eurosport. You'll be able to listen to it on BBC Radio 5 Live Sports Extra. Then it's Bernard Tomic against Dan Evans. What's going to happen in that? I think Evo's going to win. I do. I do. So do I. It's very exciting, isn't it, everybody? Uh, now, Catherine's got to go. I've got to go on the radio. Nadal against Baghdad is at the moment. I'll tell you how that's going to go and how that has gone in just a few minutes. Well, he looks great, Nadal. It took him a bit longer than a couple of minutes, maybe just over two hours. But goodness me, Marcus Baghdad is try as he might. He strained every sinew. He had his uh, little daughter watching and his wife, and he was going for it. But Nadal was really good tonight. Uh, I, I think he is dangerous. He's got a face, though, next round, Alexander Zverev, who also looks really good. So that is going to be one heck of a clash. I don't know. I, th- I think Nadal's going going all the way I do I think he's going all the way to the final I think he's going to meet Murray in the final now goodness me imagine that anyway we will find out he's already in his press conference he wants an early night I wouldn't mind an early night as well we'll be back tomorrow ACAST powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.